0: Welcome to the Non-Breaking Space Show from Austin, Texas. I'm the internet's own Christopher Schmidt. And on today's show, we welcome Nathan Curtis. Nathan Curtis co-founded 8Shapes in 2006 and is passionate about interaction design, information architecture, and front-end development. He specializes in design systems, consulting for teams large and small, regularly writing about and speaking at events worldwide. Co-hosting this week is a friend of the show, Michael Godbolt, Senior Design Developer at Microsoft. Before we get started, some things I'd like you to know. Make plans for CSS DevConf 2017, this October 9th through 11th. It's more than just CSS, we cover topics like web components, React, working with design systems, Webpack, more. So grab your tickets now and learn from Chris Coyier, Wes Boss, Mina Markham, Harry Roberts, Sarah Drasner, and many other great speakers, all in New Orleans. Tickets are on sale now, at cssdevconf.com. The UX Design Newsletter is a weekly list of articles, tutorials, inspiration, and handpicked by me. Sign up at uxdesignnewsletter.com and have the best links of the week sent to your email. Set it and forget it with a non-breaking space show newsletter, so whenever a new show is ready, you'll get sent an email right away. You can sign up at newsletter.nonbreakingspace.tv. Of course, you can find show notes and links discussed in today's show at nonbreakingspace.tv. be sure to follow me on twitter at teleject t-e-l-e-j-e-c-t as always thank you for telling others about non-breaking space now on with the show okay well i appreciate you guys for for both being here today uh so we have uh micah hey how you doing good good and where are you and, uh, I'm uh, where we're calling from?
1: Yeah, I'm hailing in from uh, Redmond uh, today. I'm on campus, actually, starting a, a little bit of a new role. Uh, this is actually day two of a new role for me here at Microsoft. Oh, nice. So uh, uh, it's kind of exciting, and fortunately, I have nice little phone rooms for me to uh, to dive into and uh, and take a call. So it's yeah. working out well.
0: That's pretty awesome. Cool. And uh, also with us is uh, uh, the guest of the of the show is Nathan Curtis. Hi, Nathan.
2: How's it going? I'm coming from uh, Fairfax, Virginia, uh, from my home office.
0: Cool. Well, uh, thanks for being on the show again. Uh, Nathan, could you just uh, describe a little bit about your background uh, for people who who might not know?
2: Sure thing. I've been, uh, since uh, school in the mid-90s, involved in the development of software, uh, and particularly UI design and and UX, and as it's evolved. And since about 2006, when I started my company, H-Shapes, with my partner, Dan Brown. Uh, we have been working with clients almost nonstop in working design systems and incorporating them into product portfolios and so on. Certainly, the practice has evolved a lot in the last 11 years considerably, but it's, it's been a lot of fun thinking in components and visual style and patterns and all the things that we do day to day. So that's a big and now only part of my consulting practice. I do that full time. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm always
1: amazed that, that you've been doing these design system work for the time that you have. And the rest of the industry seems like we're finally catching up. Uh, seriously, it's been like the last maybe three or four years where design system and design system thinking is, has really caught on. Uh, it must be kind of funny for you to, to say like, oh, finally, everyone's figuring out what I've already known for so long.
2: Well, I guess sort of. I mean, the, there's been a big catch up with with. Uh, standard practice of most people thinking about approaching their design. But I stand on the shoulder of giants much bigger than me and people at Yahoo. And and, uh, even before the call, we were talking about frog design and and they were doing design systems in the nineties with Dell and they were using terms like atoms and molecules. So all these concepts have been around for a while. And I think that a lot of companies, if you think back even 10, 15 years ago, companies like Cisco, Yahoo, eBay, the big titans of the age. They were all doing systems, um, and so they were all experiencing this value of, of doing these standards at scale. That I think a lot more companies, at a, even a greater to smaller in scale, are starting to really incorporate into their standard practice. So it's great to see, but um, I've I've just been a passenger on in, in the in the train that's been trucking on for a long time.
0: Well, one question I have, like, well, what what can't I just want to do a compare and contrast of like the time. Like what type of deliverables would you give to a client? You know, back when you started out, um, like 2006 or 2007, that would be kind of like a design style guide or or whatnot. Like, some
2: of it was the same. Uh, Most of the libraries that I ran into in the mid 2000s into the early part of this decade were still founded upon a code library. I mean, they still had, if not as well, nearly as well organized base of visual style of color and type and icons and space and so on, they still had all of their objects, whether they're called modules, portlets, components, patterns, whatever, in a big library so you could chunk together an interface really quickly. And and so I worked a lot with Sun. I did some work with Yahoo, and and both of them have really robust component libraries. Um, And at the same time, they were still paired with this design community's exploration of more principled patterns Uh, that didn't necessarily have code behind them, but talked about when to use a particular pattern, like an accordion, what the guidelines were and, and help designers make good judgments based on sound principles and and evidence to, to use these patterns. I think where it's different today than where it was in the past is, uh, I mean, like the book I wrote now eight years ago, I almost advise people to not read the first half of it because it talks about using InDesign and all of the modular Tooling that InDesign has to make wireframe deliverables that you publish in a PDF. We totally stopped doing that in 2011. <laughs> Nobody does that anymore.
1: Thankfully. Um,
2: it, but it was great. I, I had this kit, it was downloaded by 60,000 people over the course of like five or six years. It, it had value in the way that uh, the uh, design was done in that age. But now we don't really do that. Now people are talking about tooling Sketch and then increasingly uh, weaving. Uh, essentially the the source of truth in data and source of truth in JavaScript and, and, and the actual code of components together with sketch in a more automated way. And I find those connections being drawn a lot more fascinating, but it's generally the progression of the practice, frankly.
1: Yeah. I think one thing's interesting. We've, we've come a long way with design systems. We've, we've started to get design systems incorporated into every level of, Application to you know large media sites to smaller sites you know top to bottom, um, and you I think kind of mentioned it right there about getting into sketch and like the the connection of data and sketch and design. But what do you think that next kind of threshold that we need to cross over with design systems is? What is that next kind of breakthrough that's going to push us to the next level of design systems?
2: Um, dude, if I had a magic ball, I'd be starting <laughs> a company making a product. Um, but I actually think that a both the teams building bespoke systems in-house as well as some of the design tools of the day i mean sketch was one envision and and ux Pen and all these other companies pursuing incorporating system practices into their design software are evidence that we're upping our game and they're becoming modeled better and the way that we make decisions as designers is being modeled better and to me i draw the most passion out of the modeling aspect. I'm an information architect by heart. I call myself an IA from, what, 1998 until UX was invented as a term. And so it was like eight years. And I think about abstractions and hierarchies and value property pairs and all these things. And so when you start to describe a design language like that and weave it through a lot of increasingly composable bits... I think that is what's unleashing people to be more serious about it. So you see a, a tool like Brand AI or Salesforce's Theo with tokens and so on, they're they're relying on or depending upon this foundation of data to describe a design language. But what I think is gonna be next, and we're starting to see in some of ours, is how can you use that data to tune the pieces that you build? Um, that is, instead of offering a button, the button works across four background colors. and. There's a small, medium, large version of that button that has five different types and a hierarchy of buttons. And so all those different combinatorics lead you to uh, what before was a very intimidating array of choices that you had to guarantee was accessible in every combination you chose. Now that we're increasing the practice of how we build these things and document them and and so on, um, it's more realistic to, to produce these things at a high level of quality that meet those criteria and also a high degree of flexibility to the degree that people need to be able to tune them or dial tune the dials in their how they apply them in their own experiences. So yeah. that to me, the multidimensionality of that and the combinatorics of all that is something that I'm probably going to geek out on for another year or two.
1: Yeah, it looks like we're able to start quantifying just about everything that we do inside of a design system, all the way down to, you know, the the RGB value, RGBA value of text on top of the, of the. the the button or background button, um, and then as you said, over multiple themes, over you know multiple sizes, over multiple font sizes and font weights, um, it, it is pretty amazing that we can now start talking about uh, having automation that tests all the accessibility and the contrast ratios from one theme to the next, and even get to the point of being able to generate these themes uh, programmatically and automatically. Um, Using uh, you know, some type of AI to be able to kind of go through all of that data, come out with a pleasing theme on the other side. It's it is interesting once once we get everything into that data layer, uh, the things we can next uh, next do with it.
2: I totally agree, and, and you you touch a little bit on automation too. And you know, there's automated regression testing of, of visual artifacts within code, and and we're even doing an upgrade on our own visual diffing tool this week, and and that enables us to create one page that we call like the kitchen sink that we automate the generation of, say, all the different button variations that we have. And I joke to people and even say, it was a little overboard that, our buttons kitchen sink page was 92,000 pixels tall. So seriously, that's a lot of buttons and a mm-hmm. lot of different combinations, but now we can predictably just sit with that, live with it and automate all the testing of it and we'll know if ever we ever broke it.
1: And yeah, because it doesn't matter if you have 500 button combinations, you don't have to test them manually. Exactly. Yeah, it's definitely a different world once you get into that.
2: I think I, w- I would wonder, too, if part of our future um, sees a mapping of different platforms uh, and really the tooling that we build to build systems, the tooling we build to describe a design language, the tool we build, tools we build to essentially apply that and scaffold it to UI elements and have it really be mapped so that you can automate React, Vue, Angular, whatever, I don't care what your framework is, that there are paths and patterns that you can use to generate all those, as well as solve the even tougher challenge of across actual native platforms too. Not that you'd want to always adopt these same things across native platforms, sometimes that's lunacy, but there are a lot of things that I would wonder that we can increasingly tool beyond the hex codes and the border radii and the, the spatial constants that we might use to, to things that are more composed.
1: Yeah, looking at the entire like uh, some kind of component UI object as, as as entirety rather than a single value, and seeing how those how all those values relate, and make sure that you know the difference between a base state and a hover state is enough value and works within the context of our component. It's going to be interesting to see what we do as we kind of yeah as we get all this data into a single layer, then start start looking at that data and evaluating that data and seeing what you can do with that even. Tweaking the data to see what kind of—I mean, Google's famous in uh, you know just changing the the, the the color value of something on their homepage by the minute amount to see what kind of response they get. So being able to have that kind of uh, control over a system would be interesting to see what in five ten years you're able to do to really fine tune you know what that proper UI is about. Um, now I know you mentioned and brought up uh, some of the different platforms, and I know personally. Um, Platforms such as Vue and React, Angular. Um, personally, it's been really interesting to see how bringing those uh, those JavaScript frameworks into a design system has really changed the way that I've looked at design systems. And I'm wondering if if you've had a, a similar experiences. You started to work a little bit more with those in the last few years.
2: actually my experience with them can tend to be more limited. I don't have as much depth there, and the reason is. When I'm brought into client engagements, when essentially a company brings my my company in, we set up a strategy, we make a first release, we often concentrate on uh, HTML and CSS. Uh, and we rely upon pockets of development within an enterprise to actually then take that and wrap their React around it or wrap their whatever other framework around it. Because we're not yet at a place where in any of my clients really, there's a consolidated um, framework that everyone's going to use, and frankly, with I'm just trying to make the case to make a system to get uh, a few different people of engineers and designers coming together to create a squad and have capacity to do this as their job. That to commit to building a React, View Angular combination of all these things is totally un- unrealistic. Um, and so this helps me create uh, relationships with different pockets within the community, and and that actually helps with adoption, frankly. But also, it starts to, you talk about the future and, and, and where these go with those frameworks, it starts to make me cognizant of the fact that we're not going to have a design system in the future. We're going to have a system of systems in the future. And the it's going to intimidate some folks, and, and some enterprises may mature more quickly than others. But the fact is, we're going to tease apart some of these concerns and be able to reuse Design decisions as tokens within front-end layers, and reuse basic descriptions of HTML and CSS across multiple different layers. And so, all these are different connections that are actually indicative of uh, multiple systems that rely upon each other. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I a mean, bit. And I think maybe what I'm teasing out here is is an experience that I've had over this last year, going from a purely marketing site from Red Hat.com of Really, all we were concerned with was getting content onto a page so that it could be read and consumed by users. And uh, was really concerned about kind of the authoring experience and just getting static content on the site, uh, knowing full well that is, if if you were to try and take the same system and apply it to a major application, that there would be major holes within the the components and how they're built and how they're consumed and kind of the entire process in which we are building them. Uh, and then contrast that to coming here to Microsoft. We um, we actually are in a, in a situation where the majority of our applications are actually moving towards React. So we kind of ha- we do have that convergence where we have you know dozens of large applications coming to a single framework, where we can actually build a single design system that's wrapped within that framework um, and starting to see kind of the fruits of that. Uh, and kind of for me, what that next step is of. Uh, a design system, not just having and creating consistent look and feel from one site to another. You know, as we have different applications that are um, uh, that are adopting the framework, but also consistent functionality. So the way that keyboarding works, uh, the way that um, you know you're able to move up and down a list with arrow keys or select it with the enter or spacebar or hit escape to escape out of things. Um, we're we're starting to see that we're able to move a lot of that functionality into those component pieces as well and the the amount of uh, the amount of benefit you gain from that is way more than okay I don't have to create another button it's a I don't have to create a button which also has a drop down menu which also can take you know on click handlers and so on and so forth um, and you know all that effort that you you put into you know the visuals and functionality of the button is then just consumed and assumed, and then you can move on and kind of, again, build on on, on the shoulders of giants once you've done that. So yeah, I was kind of curious to see if if you've come across that experience to start building some of those out. I know there's also conversations of, you know, obviously getting these things tied into frameworks um, can be a little uh, troublesome because you never know if, you know, that framework is going to take a nosedive or something, you need to move to another um, so even like the future of web components and and the notion of being able to like build out your own set of primitives within an uh, within the browser and, and kind of what that future looks like for me I, I know that's really quite exciting to see where eventually we'll be going with that um, hopefully not tied into a single uh, single framework in the future
2: yeah I, I am certainly not one that can predict the direction of those beyond um, Goodness, they seem to change all the time. And so we (laughs) need to be nimble and and be able to adapt to those changes. One of the interesting things I heard you talk about was the recognition that as you grew to have uh, at least the benefit of having React as a potential framework that most teams are using, but also the spread of that system across a potentially widely diverse array of experience types, Mm -hmm. um, applications and sites, motifs of different kinds of applications, um, and one of the things that I've been challenged is the degree to which adopting teams are offput by a perception that there's not enough there that's specific to them for them to warrant it. And uh, there's some sort of balance or some sort of threshold that, that you reach with a component library, particularly for web-based experiences. Let's limit at least ourselves to that conversation, um, that everybody needs buttons, forms, Uh, vertical list groups, uh, tabs, probably. Uh, There's really typically 12 to 15 components that everybody needs. And then there's a whole bevy of 25 other content components. And there's a whole bevy of 15 to 20 application components. And they, they start to diverge. But there's this conversation around, do we share enough to adopt the same library or not? And I'm finding myself... Um, asserting that more often than not, yes, there is. Are you, I'm curious. Are you finding any instances where people are saying that library is too distinct from mine because of site versus app, or because of the motif of the app, and, and that they they really diverge as an adopting set of products to do something different?
1: Well, I think one advantage we have is that the the primitives that we have are again, as you said, buttons and lists and navigation and. Dropdowns and, and radio buttons and really those, those simple things that just about any application is going to need. But I agree that the, there's a separate challenge of can we build something that's universal enough that anyone would want to pick up and use? Um, and that also gets to gets into design when you have all these different groups with completely different design organizations. Are those designers communicating enough to have the same design solutions to be able to use the same Technical code solutions to to solve those. So if if one person's all about accordions and someone else is all about you know tabs and pivots, um, it's going to be tough to be able to build something that's going to meet all those needs, unless you know uh, unless those designers can come together and decide uh, to solve those solve those problems in the same way. And an interesting thing with with our approach is we're we're completely federated at this point. We have really no core like focused dedicated team to the product. We rely on all of the various teams, uh, development teams, to contribute back to the project to fix bugs and, and add features. Um, but the thing is, we we are used to that model. It's on GitHub. We're used to pull requests. We're, we're used to the collaboration and and um, you know and uh, reviewing pull requests and everything. And, and so on the developer side, we've been really good at that, coming to a consensus about how we want to accomplish something code wise. Um, designers, on the other hand, I don't know if they've had that that opportunity to work in that open source community where um, where they understand how how do they collaborate. Like, what's that process like when you have Two different teams that are they're trying to solve similar problems, but then they come up with completely different solutions. Um, again, like accordions versus pivots or something like that. And and how do they have the tools? Do they have the the mental? Uh, do they have the experience and and um, kind of just the mental constructs to be able to walk through those and come to. Mm-hmm to common solutions. Have you experienced any of that with some of the the disparate teams that you've worked on?
2: I think it varies by enterprise. Uh, Sometimes I'll step into a very immature enterprise that has virtually no community of engineering across products and similarly, very little community of design. Uh, More often, I'll be brought in because one of those two communities is forming well, and there's an advocate of system uh, essentially a system enthusiast or a system sponsor that, that says, we're going to make it and it's going to be grounded in that. More often than not, it's design, frankly. Uh, I'll, I will come in and find, uh, if not at the scale of Microsoft, which for most of my clients is an outlier. I mean, M- Google, Microsoft, IBM, GE, th- those are massive companies. But let's take it down a notch or two to most of the other companies out there And there's a healthy amount of critique going on across uh, product teams and even across lines of businesses, that there's a connectedness of designers that are at least exposing each other to each other's work and providing valuable feedback. The injection of a system uh, can both be a boon and a threat to that conversation in design. It uh, can be a boon because suddenly they realize that they can share some things and borrow solutions from other designers and maybe even other engineers. But it's a threat too because suddenly the, the nature of the critique changes and you inject of uh, not just is your solution good, but do we agree on the solution and we, do we agree that we should share the solution? Because that's actually oftentimes the forces outside of that design community that are getting placed on the design community. Why isn't this thing cohesive? And that can generate friction within designers. And so they, they don't have the, or. and I am a designer, we often don't have the constructs to make those decisions in black and white. Or you don't have a con- collective model of how you're making those decisions around range of background colors, around small medium large and which components you're going to actually allow for those small medium large hooks to be applied to buttons and lists and uh, and so on and and so until you start to have a system be a foundation to provide that framework for making decisions together it's just pe- it can be people talking past each other they don't have the coded truth to rely upon and, and refer to to make make concrete decisions and so that's why i feel like design might struggle a bit more relative to the communities of engineering that you might What I perceive you talking about?
1: Yes, having those, having that experience of of working in a collaborative environment, especially collaborative asynchronous across you know different states, different countries, whatever the case is. have, Have you found there's any within the design community any good tools or approaches or? Um, things that they can do to to try and you know come to that solution. You you said that oftentimes the designers are able to you know share between from one team to another. I know personally within here most design teams work within you know quite a bit of a silo, um, and for them to you know cross pollinate usually takes quite a bit of effort. Um, are there things that you've seen other teams and other companies do that that worked well for them?
2: So there's a few uh, I don't know if things I've seen, but Let me phrase it as um, characteristics uh, or qualities of a design community that tend to be correlated with uh, better systematic decision making. One is uh, management that values the sharing across product product teams and creates opportunities for their, carves out space, time, and opportunities for their designers to convene. Um, and to share their work and possibly even rotate across different assignments to gain visibility across product lines or across sites and applications or whatever the lines of division might be. The second is um, those then start to foster a strong culture of critique. Frankly, when I come into a system engagement and I know there's an existing critique that three quarters of the people in the workshop raise their hand and say, I attend at least 60% of these critiques. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, okay, that's healthy. That is the place where we're going to get visibility. And that might be the place where we sh- uh, make systematic decisions or we identify them and have a different venue to then make them. And so the, the culture of critique is, is an important one. The third one that, frankly, uh, I think is really important is you have to have connectors within that community. Um, oftentimes I will seek out for a systems team when we're starting a system or we're going through some formative operating periods where there are central capacity, there is central capacity to it to it. I will look for designers that are well-connected and have the, the, the assertiveness to inject themselves to connect and to provoke quite good, meaningful questions. Um, and so I'll, to protect the incident, let's say there's this guy, John. John is the person that's actually talking with everybody else, and they're in that Slack channel that's responding and, and pr- probing more and more about those things, and they're the person that can then map what those conversations are, not just to models that the system has, but ways that the system will prioritize making things and put it in a context of, yeah, that modal that you want to make that is of a consent form, we don't need the consent form modal as a thing in the system. We have a modal, we have a UX pattern for a providing consent. You can pro- combine those two things to create the solution for your product. And the person nods their head in Slack and says, yeah, that, that's great. That's all I need. I, or I feel like my, that the, our community is met by that. Um, so is that getting a little bit at some of the signals or qualities that you might see in a, a design organization or culture? So,
1: certainly I, I know we have uh, like within our, our team's channel we have a uh, we have a channel for fabric and specifically a design channel which is quite active and there's uh, I think there's a tendency for um, uh, hopefully there's a good tendency for people reaching out asking those questions before they try and build something you know net new like are there components that I could use are there is there a way that I can accomplish this faster and I think that's that's usually the, the the thing that we want to try and promote is what's the most efficient way that we can build things? because uh, when you get into a situation where we have a design team that's like, how can I make something that's just all me and all like showing off it, when when you have designers to start preening and, and trying to create something that's so special and brand new and amazing, uh, kind of missing the point. I mean, the the reason that we do this in code is so that we don't have to write those five hundred lines of code together. there's no there's no pride. As, as as a developer to write that code again that already exists, um, so if we yeah if we can start seeing that within this, our designers as well, I think that's a huge win for us. You know, to um, have people that say like my end goal is getting over here, and if if I can get seventy percent of that um, knocked out of the way because I can pull in existing components, that's a huge win for me, and obviously it's a huge win for the system as well.
2: It's interesting you refer to that the, the in preening as as a, a flavorful word. I was trying to, to find a designer. way to say that appropriately, yes. No, no. It, it's helpful, though, because I think there's a perception within uh, the product development communities or teams making things digitally that that's often the motive that designers have to, to make something shine. And yeah, you might have someone fresh out of school where they were in school or in some other environment essentially encouraged to do that and were evaluated as successful by their degree to do that. But in a professional setting, uh, any designers with any sort of seasoning I see struggling to remain consistent with the system because they don't have, or with standards in general, is because they don't have the visibility or awareness or knowledge of what those standards are. And a, a healthy amount enough respect that those decisions were made with enough evidence or thinking around them to warrant reuse. And so in the Slack channels that I participate in, we too have three channels. We have a core team channel that's the private one, we're doing all our Jira tasks and coordinating and that kind of stuff and asking for pull request reviews. Um, Then we have an engineering channel where all the engineers are asking code related questions, that's probably where you're hanging out more. Or, or where you're like a systems advocate champion in there, but then we have the design channel, and I look at, I monitor the the, the chatter in that channel and identify how many people are uh, asking for help because they're asking a question that is indicating that they haven't yet found in the system if the system supports something or how to do it if they know that it's in there, and so it's really more findability or perception of does this thing have a focus date? Have you solved for the third? tertiary button whatever to, to have this disabled state or what have you, and they just haven't figured out how to do it and they need help. Or their question actually implies a feature request, uh, um, whether it's as esoteric as the modal consent form, or something more practical like error messages. If you didn't get like a, an error message in your first release because you had a certain amount of capacity, where is that thing? And. And so in that sense, I I find that designers are looking to do the right thing. Surveys I do exhibit that designers believe in cohesiveness. They value the shared experience in in a journey that spans many products. But it's more their ability to have transparent visibility and and awareness of everything that's going on that inhibits them from achieving that in their space. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, Yeah. I think so. Designers, it's certainly a lot for me to learn, not being in that space as much and I kind of assume that everyone wants to be at that same level of reusability, um, and you know, at, at times certainly I, I see a lot of it. And sometimes it's it, again, it's kind of that when you when you see a something to build, you see a blank canvas, and you start just you know creating inside of that blank canvas. So um, yeah, I hope to certainly see a lot more of that and try and figure out what are those tools that we can use to, uh, to make it easier for a, a designer to reuse those components. I think it comes back to like, you know, sketch and yeah. XD and, and those visual toolkits that, that make it easy to con- compose experience and find all those things that they might have thought they like, Oh, I'll just create my own input box. It's like, oh, no, we actually have an input box that has, you know, all the various states and even, as you said, like error messages and those types of things to be able to reuse those so that you don't have to be creating those uh, completely, you know, brand new every single time you touch them.
0: Right. Well, I feel like I need to jump in here and defend the designer. <laughs> Go for it. I <laughs> feel like a... Well, I mean, I, t- I totally understand that there is uh, printing, if you will. Uh, that's a good term for it. I mean, I, I went to a company and I was talking about design. This is before design systems are, are as well known. And um, literally, this designer would not stop talking about a folder tab in their design and how like she designed this and the developers wouldn't uh, implement it because uh, they already had a folder tab design and it was working f- so well. And that, and at the time, in order to use it, they would, uh, it would literally. This was a discussion. Uh, they would have to write, rewrite the whole entire like application like module just to accommodate the CSS because the CSS wasn't as robust back then. And uh, I was like, you know, at some point you just let it go. You know, just like you could just it's a folder tab, you know, maybe a year from now, we can like look at it again and, and punt on, on this one. And, and like, and, and as, a uh, as, uh, as my, uh, as my partner likes to say, is this the hill you want to die on? It's <laughs> pretty much. And so, and, you know, designers, you know, you know, I think they've, you know, in some cases, you know, you, you run into those issues, but sometimes I feel like, you know, designers are willing to work with, uh, developers and, uh, and work in this system. And, you know, my point is that I still run into people, who, who, are designers, and they don't want to work with Git or GitHub because they don't like they don't understand the branching and even the basic stuffs with GitHub. So they don't have that uh, culture of like that you referenced earlier, Micah, about like a collaborative effort on design. And I find that uh, uh, we we had t- we had an episode uh, built Sketch. I think our last episode talked about Sketch about how there's actually going to be um, as a resource like there's actually going to be like you know a Git for Sketch. In terms of like you know designing and stuff like that and i felt like that's great and that's has got a lot of people to to like you know i think with 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 your idea of like having designer work across different um departments and 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 teams i think that's gonna help out a lot more because that type of experience uh isn't as well known especially in design schools maybe now uh like as we're talking right now but i felt like you know as personally as someone who went to design school back then like collaboration was you know necessary critiques were necessary you know to, like you know there's nothing like a good critique that tells your your uh, your assignment to pieces after you worked like a month on it and so there's like nothing you know there's no ego involved with that after after a while so um but yeah so i think i think there's designers do want to do that but you know the tools aren't as easy you know i you know hate to say like GUI a base but they, you know or easy for them to push because like, you know, they, they understand the visual language. Um, and also I think just in general, I think there's been a disruption in how designers operate, you know, from web design starting out, uh, from this waterfall of uh, Photoshop and like that. So now we're, we're really getting into like auto, autom- automation. I love the idea. Like we talked about, you know, like uh, automating design systems and the design system of design systems. Uh, that Nathan mentioned, I think that, that's uh, awesome. But, uh, uh, you know, and I was so worried, like, oh, well, where's the designer in this, you know, in this point? Like, like who's, who, who's actually uh, controlling the knobs and dials?
2: Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's, that's really, uh, I think, a relevant question when you're talking about systems in particular is who's controlling the knobs? Because designers, while equipped with such a variety of skills, including critique, coming out of school or based on past experience, when they find themselves in the pursuit of a system – participating in a community that's making a system they aren't necessarily you can't assume they're equipped with product management discipline that is the discipline around releases the discipline around making roadmaps and priority decisions the disciplines about the impact impacts of adding feature a3 that is really expensive and barely moves the needle compared to a2 and a1 when if you add b and it's really cheap and it's going to help everybody and have a huge value impact that suddenly, they aren't equipped to make those comparisons. And so it's up to a system team or community if it's fully federated to, to help understand the direction and vision of what the system is, under. promote what it needs, promote how it's going to grow. And if you don't have that sort of product management layer or sheen to what your system is trying to do, it it's gonna fall prey to to a lack of every, designers feeling really upset that their preening wonderful tab thing you're talking about yeah. hold or whatever yeah. isn't in the system. So it, and so you can't assume that designers are gonna be equipped with those skills.
0: Right, and and I do see like there's you know a designer like you know, has a visual language, but also I think the, you know there's nothing that's that uh, works best than you know uh, you know a, a testing with real users and having everyone see it. And process, and also with real data, like you know, with analytics and stuff like that, to say like, hey, yeah, your your tab idea like is great, but you know, we don't really need it because like everyone still knows it's a tab. We don't have to go through and have this bevel, you know, beveled tab when like, no one's really gonna, no one's going to like lose sleep over it. So, but uh, yeah,
2: I'm curious, Micah, if you actually have a a story to tell there because I don't often have the best answer to the question when a product manager I'm trying to get to adopt the system asks. So have you proven that these all work well? And, and, because my answer is like, yes, they're resilient to unpredictable content. Yes, they're accessible. Yes, they're fully functional. Yes, they have a, the highest level of visual quality. And then they're like, no, 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 no. Does it solve the user's problem well? And is it functioning well? And have you tested this with users? And I'm like, oh, wait, I've made tons of buttons, but I haven't tested those yet. Um, do, you, do you have that as a criteria or how do you confront some of the adopters of your system that question the validity of what the system has on offer because of the lack of evidence of proving it in real context.
1: I have one quick, I guess, funny side story on on that, this whole, like, um, you know, do you have evidence? Do you have prior knowledge? When, when I first dove into uh, the design system at Red Hat, they... They asked me, "Hey, you know, can you start this up and start building these components out and everything?" And uh, shortly after that, they asked, "So, how many times have you done this?" And I had to tell them this was the first time <laughs> because I think there are a lot of us that are in those spots where we know this is the way to do something, and, and and literally this is the first time that we'll have a chance to do this specifically. It's it's like you know every it's like painting blue houses. We've we've painted houses before, but maybe not blue. This is going to be a little different. Um, I've read painting experience but not blue yet, but I, I think we'll get through it. Long tangent. All right, so but getting back to the quality <laughs> and basically the, the, the provability of, of what the work we're doing, um, I think there's there's two values that you can pull out of a design system. One is to the people that are building with it and to the end users that are going to be using it. Um, real quickly, to the ones that are are building with it, Um. I know we saw some dramatic cost savings. I mean, after a short amount of time, we we're able to look at just the basics of how much does a, a person cost to do this task? How many tasks are we negating because of the fact we have the system that, that keeps us from having to repeat those? And quickly calculate that out to the millions of dollars that we would have spent having to do this by hand. Um, I think those are really easy to show because they're... We have systems in place. We count hours. We we have you know salaries and, and hourly rates and those types of things. So I think that's pretty well established. And I, I know at Red Hat we're really had that nailed down. And I don't think at, at Microsoft we have any question whatsoever that you know nobody needs to spend another two hundred hours writing another list component or something. But on on the user side of getting out to users and having them use the products and experience those products, I I, I do believe there's a lot more. Uh, validation that could be done, um, to, to bring that data back and, and show, uh, definitively that that's the case. Um, anecdotally, I I think it's pretty obvious that especially as you start getting into, uh, getting your design system into a framework that is able to move, not just from consistent colors, consistent shapes, but also consistent interactions. I think that's really where the users benefit, where you can go from, um, We go from application to application built by completely different teams, completely different, even maybe like underlying tech stack, like maybe one's, uh, you know, an Azure backend and and one's Connect S3 and they have different technology stacks in the middleware, but just all built with the same UI kit um, that every single user comes there has the same experience of like, oh, I can tab from the search box you know, down into the search results. And if I use the up and down arrow keys, I can, you know, go up and down between all of the items in the search results. And i hit enter, that would bring me directly to it. And then from there I can, you know, so on and so forth. Um, I, know, I know personally I've, I've jumped into products, even products of ours where I'm expecting certain interactions um, when I you know, keyboard around or something. And it's not there, it's, it's jarring. It's this like, I thought I knew how to use this application, but this isn't, you know, reacting the way I expect it to. Um so having a user, you know, come into those situations and go like, oh, this feels just it's a completely different product, but it feels just like every other product I've used within the suite of products. I think there's an insane amount of value there that's that's for the customer, whether that's myself trying to use our applications or someone that's that's looking to possibly pay money for our applications. So um, yeah, I think there's a lot of testing that could be done, and I know we do a good bit of user user research when making some of our decisions about what goes into the design system. But it really need be really neat to see after a lot of that's deployed what what's that impact? You know, what are the what's the feedback from users? What's their experience like and, and how has that changed for them um, as they're now using products that all adhere to that same type of UI system?
0: Yeah, and, that, and that's where it gets back to like who's controlling the dials. And then also like if you're like you can do like automated AI and so that you can actually, you know, apply, making sure the users are happy. Then like do really we look at that quantifiable or, you know, the, the user impact, and so which is, you know, not not too crazy. To, to do, I think we have the tools to figure that out.
2: It, and I think that I was reminded, as Micah, you were describing some of those things, some of the experiences I had where actually we did blend in research well. And there's really three ways with one client or a couple of clients that, that it worked well. First was the system team sets up prototypes that emulate the use of its components in uh, fairly realistic scenarios, and you test the component. Um, We don't really do that that much when we're making systems because more often our stuff is primitive enough that it feels too ad hoc and not realistic enough, which means the second place is you have to defer to the product team's knowledge of what they've tested and learned from it. Um, as opposed to feeling like you put something out in the wild and then you ask all the product teams to do the research later, they've probably done research already. And if you've got a design system primarily meant for most of your apps, for most of your products, but your marketing site wants to use it too, if they say red cells is the primary button, we will not use your blue button, we won't use it. And then it becomes this big objection using the system. You say, oh, actually that's one line of CSS. We can make another variation that gives you your e-commerce red button and it's dash, dash e-commerce as a modifier class. Done, thanks. And we move on because they had all the evidence for it. It's like if, if I'm working at Marriott uh I'm not going to tell them what icon to choose for the primary features of a hotel that they test 20 different icons in one sprint and find the best one for whatever property of free Wi-Fi or breakfast that they want to promote or fosters a good decision of their buying customer. I'm they're gonna choose the icon. I'm gonna provide a platform of a system to propagate those icons to all the other products that can benefit from that same signal. And then the it's, last thing is the I will look for organizations that have a mature research practice that is a service across the enterprise rather than embedded researchers that just live on a product team or a UX person wearing research clothing. Instead, if there's a research practice, we had one library stand up and its biggest success in my eyes wasn't actually the visual style and components we published, but the fact that each of those pages of color and buttons and forms and and typography had an overview guidelines tab and then a second tab called research where we had taken all of their um, templated research studies where they had called out findings on color and type and buttons and forms. And we essentially labeled all those as PDFs and then figure out a basic CMS to show those results, show the findings that were listed on the findings page because they were really mature in their practice and repeatable. And we just started publishing all the documentation and said, you want to look for the evidence, it's right in the second tab. And suddenly everybody had access to research they didn't even know existed because it was an organization of 150 designers. And suddenly there becomes this efficiency and scale and horizontally serving practices of systems and research that starts to dovetail together. So amid what was otherwise a very challenging project, that was, for me, a big win to marry those two things together.
1: I think the, the research is the, one of the amazing things for me is at Microsoft, we definitely do a ton of it. It is, I think, is still a bit, bit more siloed within products and whatnot. But at least to, to come across the situations where, you're like, why is this button this way or why is this this way? Like, it'd be so much easier if we could just do it this other way. Um, and then for uh, the designers and, and the um uh, and the researchers actually be able to come back and say, "We did some testing. here's you know, here's the the background and research on it, and this is the best uh, the best solution that that we came up with. But I think also a, a point that you kind of made as as far as like, uh, the marketing team might need want that red button. And oftentimes, you also have to realize they have a completely different user base. They have a completely different um, group of people that might be coming to their product that maybe red identifies with them much better than your primary blue. So I, I think one of the things I was I was thinking of when you were talking about that is um, I come from, whereas the app before it was actually OneDrive and SharePoint specifically, and that's where Fabric was kind of born. Um, and an interesting thing I've seen is that the the design system was born out of a single product, so it kind of it kind of took on a lot of the visual styles of that product and started fanning out to to all of the other products to adopt. Um, the the OneDrive and SharePoint their design system, probably a better way to say it, is their style guide is is a bit more limited. I mean, they have some really specific ways they want to present uh, present their UI, specifically because they've done research. Um, but the system we made is way more capable than what their style guide needs. And, and that's because we've taken it and, and federated it across multiple um, organizations where each of those organizations have very uh, widely different needs. Like um, like the only time that OneDrive SharePoint needs a dropdown is in a command. So like a command bar at top, it's the only time they have a dropdown. They would never have a dropdown in like a, primary button or something like that. And they're like, why is there a drop down or primary button? And and our answer from a system standpoint is, well, because these other partners inside of their UI, this is a decision they've made that works for them. So we've made it a system that can support all those different needs. So kind of back to the the color scenario, um, one product owner one product might not need all those different color variations but you need a system that's able to support all those different types of users um, whether that's multiple themes on one page whether that's um, you know various themes going out to each of the each of the groups whether it's that's Excel wanting everything to be green uh, whatever the case is we want to make sure that we have a system that's able to support that which is it's interesting because it, it, it even it kind of turns our the system that we're building into even more base layer primitive items of this is the button and the functionality. Um, the 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 styles on top of it, we might want to give a good set of like presets, but knowing they might diverge quite dramatically from product to product to product as you know they have their own research and, and needs have gone into that.
2: Well, it's interesting you you point it out that way because there's a certain philosophy or principle at play of what goes in a system or not. And I am of the mindset that if it only is for one product, if that e-commerce button was only gonna be used by one product, I'd say, you are welcome to depend upon our SaaS, create all the buttons and add that line of CSS code for you to do it yourself it has no business being in a system. But I'm curious, I have a rule of thumb where these conversations escalate to being system worthy. And if it's two products, I start to pay attention, but I'm not fully convinced. If it's three products, it's time to start talking about it. And if it's five products and it's something that's relevant to the system scope and mission and timing and, and uh, capacity to make things, it belongs in the system. If it's at sure. five, it's like a no-brainer. I'm curious, do you have a similar scale? Do you have a point of view on once it's two, it goes in the system, no doubt? I mean, where, where do you come from on that, both of you? Sure. Um, I don't think it's a number thing for us.
1: Um, it's it's kind of a, it's a couple different factors that go into it. One is what's the impact on the system. Uh, for instance, we we would never just make an extra green button because one random user needs a green button. Um, specifically, what we've done with buttons is we've made them extremely flexible to take in custom themes. So you know, because once you make a green button, you're like, oh, now someone needs a dark green button, and now they need a dark green button that hovers white instead of you know the lighter green color, and so on and so forth. So we've made buttons that you can pass in a completely custom theme into. Um, we've moved into CSS and JavaScript so that that just gets mixed in right as the component gets rendered on the page, and that means that any user instead of needing uh, if you know if the blue and white buttons in our standard theme don't work for them, or they want to go completely different direction, it's very easy to customize those and, and use those any way that they want. So part of the decision there wasn't like, oh, well, two people need it. It's, well, can we make a button that's way more capable that it's going to meet their needs and anyone else's needs that might have that same question? Because again, OneDrive SharePoint, we've we've got our two buttons. That's Really, all, all the product needs and, and all the designers are working within kind of that that reality of the two-button system. But we've made sure we have a, a, a design system that's able to produce many other flavors of that. Uh, so if it needs to be customized, it can be done. So um, I think the, it, where it comes in is when you want to introduce uh, completely brand new code, see a completely brand new component. I think that's the question of how usable is this piece of code. Is this, a, is this code that's only going to be used in your product? Or is there a chance that adding this code to the system would be able to benefit not just your product, but other products within the system as well? And yeah, if it's just two, again, I think that might be one thing. Well, maybe the two of you should just collaborate because that maybe is really specific to the two of your products. But yeah, as soon as it gets to three, and I think three is kind of that magic number, yeah. Um, you know, as as long as it's not, uh, there's certainly things that throw red flags. But as long as there's no red flags on it, say bring it in and uh, and make that part of you know the offering that we have within the system. What about you, Chris? Uh,
0: I don't have that problem yet. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're a lucky man. Yeah. I, know. Uh,
0: I will say, like, I do want to ask you, like, um, Nathan, just like, what are your, like, you said, you mentioned rules of thumb for like for you know integrating a. Uh, a component or design, you know, thing into your, to the design system. What, what are your like? Do you have any tips or tricks for people who want to get design system going into their into their uh, organization, but haven't been able to be successful? Like, do you got, do you have to do much convincing? And if so, like any any techniques or
2: generally what I see, uh, and then I'll place where I usually get involved into what I see. Is systems are an evolution and reflect the maturity and, and scaling of a design org. Um, at the beginning, there might be someone who sees value in systematically approaching design or engineering, and they start to do things in their own space and their own product team, on their own dime to start to exhibit those things. It might be a, a single person working on a single team, and then they start to they start to see. Salesforce lightning they start to see Google materials spec that's gorgeous or they start to see these patterns in the industry and be and ask tell themselves I need that for I need to organize my work like that And so they start to do these things and and then people like managers or product owners or leaders in the organization will see that and say, Go ahead and do that in your spare time, but that's not a system to me. That's just a person doing work systematically, and it's not gonna sustain or be adoptable by lots of other people because there's no support mechanism, there's no formality to it. Um, Teams will then have this phase transition where those managers, product owners, sponsors, whoever, start to endorse the pursuit of that, see value in the structure of that, and want to essentially carve out time of an individual to start to serve other people. Um, and so, yeah, take a quarter time, do that work, or uh, do, it, uh, do it on Friday afternoons, or hopefully not just that. But I get involved when a team is working on uh, setting up a more formal system pursuit. They need to compose a strategy. They need to form a team to make things, whether that team is borrowed from lots of other teams or becomes a formal squad. Um, and, and at that point, you've got a systems team making a system based on a strategy that's endorsed. It's sponsored and and it is gonna have some sort of pivotal moment where you're gonna release it and tell other teams it's ready for use. And even before that, you're telling some early adopters, go ahead and start using it so we can see where we need to refine it. And you even have an alpha release where you're saying, Here's our hello world color page and our button page, or or what have you. And that progression from an alpha to just demonstrate basic things to a beta that you're actually getting some early people to adopt it, but you're not making commitments to a breaking change. And then a final one where you start to get semantically versioned at hardcore, they may not be using those terms. They may not be talking about it like that, but that's the progression of a mature system that people can depend on. And so that's the, that that progression there is when I'm getting involved with groups and then I'll sort of taper off and be succeeded and they'll just live on their own and, and, and live with the system from there
0: on. Uh, I think that's a good, good stopping point, actually. But yeah, but uh, how can um, people uh, find you on the internet and um, talk more about design systems?
2: So I'm really usually in three places in the design system community. I'm on Twitter. Of course, you can follow me at Nathan A. Curtis. Um, and I'm tweeting about 50 to 60% of the time on systems. But I'll admit, there's a lot of Arsenal Football Club and <laughs> suits in there. Um the uh, second place is that I do a lot of writing on medium. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where people get a lot of content from me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love getting the feedback from that too. And then the third place is we've got a design system Slack. It's, uh, I believe design and you put in your email address it invites you to the Slack group. And as of this morning, I want to say there's in the low 3000s of people in that community. And, uh, it's a really vibrant community that has all sorts of topical channels of interest and all the people we talk about and representing all the systems that are in play in the industry. Most of those people are in there. Yeah. And so we're having really good chatter. Uh, so that's it.
0: Cool. Yeah. And I will say like, uh, I, I love your, your articles on medium. So let um, I think we, we had the, um, we had you on an online conference for e 4 H a while back. And I just like, I think that's one of the reasons why like I really wanted you to speak is because like you had such great content. On medium and you're and of course like in of course now you've been working on design systems uh you know i'm not gonna say forever but for a long time before most people were and um so you're you have great content and you you've been in this space for a long time so it's been uh just great talking to you today so
2: oh it's been a pleasure being here i love having the passionate chatter with the two here it's a lot of fun
0: cool awesome uh i hope to talk to you soon
2: okay thanks a lot